Welcome to an RSN Super Morning, direct from Oakland Junction, for the sale that has launched so many Group 1 careers. Inglis Melbourne Premier Yearling Sale. But Nature Strip goes on by. Look at the turn of foot here. It's Guitra in front. Guitra! September run driven out, and the filly is going to do it again down the street. Nature Strip lunches! Photo finish! Home Affairs, I think, has just won from Nature Strip. Live at the Oakland's Junction Sales Complex. Michael Felgate, Matt Stewart and Matt Nevitt. Yes, good morning and welcome to a special edition of Racing Pulse on this Monday, the 6th of March. And we are live here from the Oakland's Junction Sales Complex for the biggest sale in Victoria, the English Premier Sale. It is Racing Pulse right through until around about 11 o'clock with a no-race Monday. Matty Nevitt from the Big V will join the team with Matty Stewart and will speak to a lot of the major players that are out here after a successful day one, a new record $1.1 million for a filly, the most expensive filly ever through the sale ring here. So there's plenty to discuss from a breeding point of view and sales point of view, but there is so much to talk about from the weekend of racing. Some unbelievable finishes on track and we also had the shock and horror of that terrible fall with Ethan Brown and we'll give you an update with how Ethan is with Matty Highland first up on the program but as I say good morning to the verdict boys Matty Stewart and Mick Sharkey how are we gents? Very well famously uh, well in well, fact frost on the ground out here Sharky. a little bit of dew a bit of yeah. morning dew yes well, you've decided to wear shorts, which is unfortunate from everyone else that's coming out I here. Ref I refuse. I accept the seasons and not the weather. Uh, to me, it's still summer autumn, and I'm still going to dress accordingly. Yeah, why are so. the baby calves looking at the moment? Uh, yeah, I haven't been cycling for a while, so they can only... I'm getting a new bike because I'm preparing for a little you cycling tour. Oh, I thought you were going to say triathlon or something like that. I, um, it's always an interesting drive out here, isn't it, with um, <laughs> the living legends. Do you try and cop a peek on the way just to see if Absolutely. you can see Apache Cat's bald face? I tried to find him this morning. Couldn't He's find about him. the only one you can pick out in a, yeah, in a paddock yeah. full of so bay horses, isn't it? It's, a, it's really lovely out here, and um, the lawns and everything, and, and I say this every year with the English uh, yearling sale, is uh, even if you're not a buyer, if you're not a participant, this is it's, if, you, if you're a star watcher, you'll see the all the big players, Gay Waterhouse and her entourage and all these other people out here, and seeing the... Um, the horses that you just don't know, Shark, and I think that's what I love about it. You, Every year you come out here, then two years later you see them win a million dollar race. And you go, oh, God, I saw that one. It was lot 365. And so there's something a little bit of an thing. So I think that's what attracts me to it. Is, and I, they're just as the horses as well. So up close at these horses, racing, racing horses, uh, there's a lot to see out here for sure. There's no doubt about that. We'll talk plenty about the lots that are going through the yard today, but let's start with the racing on the weekend, and uh, more important than any result is the health and well-being of Ethan Brown after that shocking fall. Uh, Ethan remains in hospital and has undergone surgery, and there may well be another surgery occurring later today. Matty Highland is the boss of the Victorian Jockeys Association, who's here to give us an update. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, thanks, Michael. Matt, what is the latest with Ethan right now? How is he? Uh, so Ethan's still uh, obviously in ICU and, and scheduled to have another surgery today. That'll be his third surgery since Saturday night. And, uh, look, he's, um, he's comfortable and, uh, you know, he's obviously sedated. So, uh, you know, to keep him sort of comfortable. And, um, yeah, but he's got some... 
some internal issues. I'll just sort of give you a brief um, rundown on what he's actually, his injuries so far are. So he's got a lacerated liver. Um, he's also got a kidney issue, which I won't delve too deeply into, but he's got an issue with a kidney and, um, and uh, potentially has some fractures in some vertebrae. But obviously the surgeons are not focusing on that. They're focusing on the, uh, the internal bleeding and, and want to get that under control and, and hence the surgery today. There's still some sign of internal bleeding, so they'll, uh, they'll go in today at some stage and uh, look to rectify that and hopefully then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a clear picture of what may well be other injuries, uh, but we'll, we'll get through this first stage today. So yeah, as you know, every, I think the first thing everyone thinks about in these circumstances, Matt, is head, neck, spine, and all the internal bleeding is the main thing. But obviously, his movement was was reasonably okay afterwards. I don't. It doesn't sound like there's any grave fears for what may be discovered next. Uh, no, no, there's not, Matt. But uh, what I can tell you is, he, Ethan remained conscious the whole time. He was conscious on the track, and he was conscious even. Uh, when I got to the hospital and, and uh, with Celine, the, uh, the doctors sort of pretty much said he was conscious right up until they, you know, they were putting him in to, to operate originally at sort of six o'clock on, on Saturday night. So uh, what I can say is that, you know, the on-course medics and, and John McCorkle, the race course doctor, I mean, they just do a sensational job under extreme pressure. It was obvious that whilst... Mm. Um, Ethan didn't, ha- you know, he was fo- he was conscious and uh, and his limbs looked okay. He was in an awful lot of pain, and they did an enormous job to stabilise him and get him to, you know, it was obvious that he had some internal injuries going on, and they got him, you know, got him transported directly to Royal Melbourne, and uh, then they took over from there. I mean, he had a- it was a long night Saturday night, and and uh, you know, but. Um, yeah, just I think it's really important to recognise those people on the on the track that are under extreme pressure to uh, to stabilise Ethan and get him to where he needed to be. Hey Matt, a technical question regarding the the safety gear and, and my dad actually brought this up with me yesterday. He's just asking out of curiosity. The vest, obviously, he's got injuries to his kidney and his liver, but does the vest how how low down the body does it? Does it finish? Does it cover those areas and provide protection to those areas? Yeah, look, the vest pretty much covers the, the rib cage and down around your, um, your waist area. But let's face it, uh, I mean, that was a significant, um, you know, fall and, and, and injury. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure that a vest is going to help you if, you if you're carrying the weight of a horse on top of you. And uh, I'm not suggesting... I've only seen the vision, you know, once or twice. And, and uh, so I, I'm not sort of to go into that as to whether you know what it actually looks like but you know the vest is obviously an important uh, important safety uh, bit of gear but at the end of the day um you know traveling at speed and 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 you know we there you go we had two riders that that were involved in an extremely heavy fall one walked away and one uh one's on the operating table so that sort of gives you the you know gives you an indication of the risks of this this job and um you know, it, it affects all the riders. They're all, you know, they're all, uh, you know, really concerned for obvious reasons, as was everyone in the industry. And, I mean, uh, the amount of calls over the last 24 hours, 48 hours is, is unbelievable. But, um, you know, it's just uh, it's a tough gig. 
it's a tough gig when you're on the end of uh, an incident like that. Matt, just on the operations, is it unusual to have this many operations or for these types of injuries, is, is that something that occurs? I, I, I couldn't really comment on that, Michael. What I can say is that, you know, he's in the absolute best hands at Royal Melbourne and, um, you know, obviously, you know, you see if someone's got a broken leg or, or a broken arm, you can see it. But when you're dealing, obviously, with, with internal injuries or abdominal mm. injuries... You really can't see it. The only way they can really determine where the, you know, the uh, internal bleeding occurs is by, you know, going in and, and, and operating. And, um, you know, and then they're, they're obviously reading the play from there. I, I couldn't sort of comment on whether that's normal or not. But um, what I can tell you is that talking to the surgeons late on Saturday night, um, you know, they were, even the vibe in at, at that point in time after the first operation, they were fairly confident that look there's a bit of a process got a bit to go through ahead of him over the next few days and um, and it changes all the time but they would they were certainly talking in the in the vibe that he will he'll make a recovery but he's got they've got a bit of work to do so um, um, yeah that's pretty much straight from the surgeon's mouth Matt I was driving along through the countryside and I, when I was listening to the race and, I, and the fall dramatically uh, described by Matt Hill and it was it was really jolting and it reminded me how they are not frequent I mean on a, on, in a big major city race like that I, 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 I'm, my memory might be playing tricks on me but I couldn't remember the last time I, you know we were, we were going through this situation and we've had the situation in Hong Kong where Zach Purton was um, sort of uh, having a real crack at the new, new chief steward over there about his hardline policing of tight racing and interference and it led to a bit of an ultimatum and so on with Zach Purton, but I think here, um, I think we are, as the, 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 the safety aspect of the way jockeys ride throughout a race and the reinforcement from stewards and the Jockeys Association, I, I don't know what the exact circumstances with this were, and I know that the stewards are looking into it at the moment still, but uh, it appears as though um, our environment is, is still as safe as it can possibly be. Yeah, I think... I think you're right, Matt. I think, look, we're in a, we're in a competitive sport. They're very competitive people, but uh, safety's paramount, and we, uh, you know, the stewards do a good job. Um, you know, no one likes to see incidents like this occur, but unfortunately, it's just the nature of the nature of the uh, of the sport. And and it, yeah, thankfully, it doesn't it doesn't occur weekly. You know, but uh, look, it's a it, it, you know when you're riding horses. Uh, they are relatively unpredictable, and when you're riding the, in races, you know things happen. And um, look, I think on in general, we've got we've got a very safe sport. We've got um, uh, well, as safe as it can be, and it's it's um, yeah. I think in the competitive nature of the sport, we'll see these sort of incidents happen from time to time. Matty, really appreciate your update. Fingers crossed everything goes well with the the surgery today and uh, we'll await those updates as they come through later this afternoon and tonight. OK, thanks a lot. Matt Hyland joining us there. It was, it was sickening to watch, Sharky. Oh, yeah. And there is an ongoing investigation. Um, they're going to wait for Ethan Brown... Uh, from what the reports were over the weekend to give evidence, but um, the jockeys involved to give evidence will be Mark Zara, Damien Oliver and, and Blake Shin as well, and it was really tight, wasn't it? You could see that um, 
competitive riding, as Matt Highland described it. They were looking for runs, and if you um, go through the, the script of what the jockeys were talking about, where they were of the belief there were runs there, but things changed quickly. Uh, elliptical started to lay in, and then all of a sudden, the tiring Maximil- uh, Maximilius comes down and, and takes Holy Man's. Thank goodness the horses are oh, both yeah. okay, which... When I watched it, I, I was fearful that there would be the worst for those yeah. horses. And incredibly, Mark Zara was able to walk away and take his ride on Gentleman Roy. It was... I didn't watch the race live. I, I was at a at a gig, but I watched it later on. Gee, it looked, it looked a horrible. A daytime gig now? Yeah, festival. You're not just yeah. going to warehouses at 3 o'clock no, in the morning? No, it kicked on to the evening. Don't worry, it was You it was need to listen day. to Friday for focus. Yeah, it, it was, was very, most very, very big discussion on Friday. Um, but yeah, it was... It, it looked... You watch when you know there's been a fall, and you watch back in hindsight. It's almost worse because you you kind of think, "Oh, is this where it is?" And then the legs are going everywhere, and jockeys are down. But God, just coming back to the safety gear. Thank God, Maddie, that they wear these vests. Could you imagine? You don't you don't even want to think about it. The damage that would have been uh, inflicted mm-hmm. without the protection of that vest. We had a similar situation on the farm last year with a rider who came off and was trodden on and she had a vest on and she had a, a lacerated liver that took some time to to heal. But you just think, God, if, if they didn't have this safety equipment, Unreal. it's... It, 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 you, you don't want to think about what, what the result might be from some of these falls. And it, to me, it, I know you can't change venues and Flemington's a great venue. Interference is limited and we don't have these incidents very often at all. But to me, it's also highlighted in recent times the wide open spaces of Hillside, just how um, you don't get, the racing's not as tight, so therefore the likelihood of an incident's not as tight as, as it may have been. Uh, Flemington's a pretty big track. No, no, I'm not comparing it to Flemington. I just said that. I just said, I'm just saying to me it highlights again how great it is that we are racing a lot at Sandown these days on the hillside because they, they have a lot of space and they, we don't have a lot of interference. We'll discuss but... Sandown a little bit later. There's a few things I want to ask you about that as well. Um, let's talk about the race itself. Um, Obviously, the fall may have taken the focus off the winner, but I think we might have seen a freak legato winning the guineas. And we're going to hear it in a second. Attrition moves up, takes the lead from elliptical Japanese Emperor. Backmore and Jackano late. Japanese Emperor and Attrition stride for stride. Attrition just in front. The Philly legato is driving at them and got up. The Philly, the Kiwi, Legato has nailed attrition. Japanese Emperor third, photo fourth, Bankmore amenable. Japanese Emperors run a massive race. Then Jack- yeah, Japanese Emperor did run a massive race, but that finishing burst, Sharky, of Legato, especially the last 100 metres, it looked Amazing. like she was going to run a nice second, but she just grows wings the last 100 of her race. She is something else, that Philly. You go and watch her best performances in New Zealand. There were races where she stood them. A massive head start, and watching it, watching those races live, I think there is no way she's going to be able to round these up. And then all of a sudden, she hits overdrive and and just launches. And I think you probably got a price about it, Maddie. Although she was uh, well packed on on race day, on the basis of that defeat in the the three year old Caraca race, when she wasn't at that brilliant level. No, it's she almost was like the gloss came off a little bit. Was she, though? She should have won that race. She, well, there's races that she shouldn't have won that she has won. So I think that's the thing with this filly. She's gotten herself out of jail that many times, which she didn't win last start. Maybe the market just took that view, oh, she might not be as good as we thought, but, wowee, she's, uh, she's every bit as good and some. Well, it's been 
interesting over summer where we've been sort of keeping an eye on the New Zealand form, haven't we, with Legato, Imperatrix, Levante, and the good mare that came out here last spring that's been going well again as well. So, And we haven't quite known, as we don't know every year, we don't quite know how they're going to really absorb into the Australian form lines. And then we saw Imperatrix go up to Sydney and just get nailed by Artorias and Daniel O'Sullivan's like a bridge across the Tasman where he can we don't know but he says I'm telling you this is its ratings figure and Imperatrix for instance its ratings figure rating figures were just through the roof and Legato and Levante as well so I, I love it when the Kiwis stand up because yeah. um, you know they've had all these the issues with having to sell and no prize money and so on but the depth that they just keep producing uh, through the Jamie Richards squad with Probabil and all that as well and now we've got Legato Levante, uh, Imperatrix, and others who are coming over, and they're almost galloping straight to the top of the top of the tree, aren't they? They're almost becoming the benchmark. I'd argue that Australian racing is better when New Zealand has strong horses. Oh, dead set, absolutely. You know, it's, so it's, it's they it's are part, upgrading our form. It goes they hand in hand. It go, Australian racing goes hand in hand with Kiwi racing, and you know it's there's well look here we have look massive here, reliance. Look, look here today, there's there's new there's New Zealand farms involved. Well, yeah, you know, so. yeah, and the big farms too. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. know that well. There's always been a market for Kiwi bred horses in Australia and we've seen more and more uh, in the last probably six or seven years I guess drafts popping up particularly here at, at Premier uh, we're starting to see it a little bit at, at, through the Magic Million system as well but you know there's an appetite for these horses because they are good and, and they stand up and it's their pedigrees and they just require that little bit more time and we're seeing the rewards tough for, as well yeah we, rewards for the, the way they're brought up the yeah. way they're prepared the way they're trained and and so on so all the mistakes we sometimes make with pushing them too hard it's almost like this wave of kiwis comes and says you know what we sort of took it a bit cooler we sort of laid back a bit and look what we can do now so well, speaking of training what about the training performance of ken and bev kelso mm. They've only got nine or ten horses yesterday listening to Ken on correct weight that he just wants to have that small number of horses in work. Two of those are Legato and also uh, his good mare who ran so well Levante. in the new market, Levante. So, and Levante is going to go to Sydney. Legato is going to go for a spell. So the question now is, out of the Australian Guineas, we normally see a wild card presented into the All-Star Mile. Legato spelling paddock most likely attrition spelling paddock japanese emperor probably head to sydney um and you wouldn't give one to bank moore amenable um jack and i certainly won't go there elliptical won't go there so there's going to be questions now about where these all-star mile wild cards go also blaming winner non-conformist isn't going to Not go going there. there so gee mutamek's in a good spot <laughs> <laughs> I don't think old Hong mate Hutchie. I don't think Hutchie would have been uh, expecting to have an all-star mile runner prior to Saturday, but he may. Uh, they run out of wild card decent. Why then? Therefore, don't they just default to the votes? And the next one in was pounding, wasn't it? So I think pounding. Did we get to the bottom? Of I, that I think issue? pounding will definitely end up in an all-star mile. I would imagine after but, but what's that, unfolded on the weekend. This is high. The the, the lack of. Likely wildcard has highlighted the the value of the next in line in the vote, hasn't it? Because they are surely in it's a got fair and reasonable sense they are the next one. Sh- surely it has to be the next in line. Surely, yeah, yeah. And pounding is you know it's a snippet horse. It's in good form. Uh, there are a zillion owners in the horse. I would assume being a uh, Wiley Dalziel, Rosemont uh, owned part. Uh, I would have thought for the steer for the race. 
No, that's it. It's got to be a good race, but I, I, we didn't get anywhere, Michael, with that conversation with RV about the, the clarity of the, the votes and stuff. And I, I guess it, it is, we know what it is. It's all about prize money and so on. But it, I, I really think this reinforces this year that default back to the votes. Don't, don't go anywhere else because you yeah. might not find anything. Um, what do we make of Jack and O? I know in the uh, stewards' report, it was found that he had uh, a little bit of EPIH after the race. Um, wide run, he wanted to oh. over race early. He's been beaten 1.6 lengths. Just, uh, just what, hard to win any race, let alone a Group One, when you want to fight the jockey for yep. the first 400 metres of the race. So run on uh, sprinter. Oh, I don't know if you can be that. Well, when damning the, of him after but that. But when run. the tempo relaxes at a mile and you're drawn out, that's when you over race, isn't it? But when you're in a, a faster run race, which suits him, then he just then he rattles home, doesn't he? Maybe, but you know, a faster run mile. There's nothing to say that he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't be able to finish off and, and get into a, the finish of a a good mile race. I get, I, I, I'll have any amount of money with you you like that he will never win a Group One mile race. He probably won't be given the opportunity again. Good, yeah, well, because that's he's, true. he's a sprinter. Um, we'll speak with Sam Friedman. He'll join us a little later. Uh, we'll ask about elliptical. I thought looked a bit flat. It did look a bit flat, didn't it? That first up run, with the expectation there'd be more to come from it, I don't think you could say the horse went ahead from that. I reckon the interesting thing out of this race is which of these three-year-olds may have a crack in the Australian Cup because it's got a long tail this year, the Australian Cup. Um, uh, Pericles is the equal favourite or the equal second favourite. Probably entitled to be a six to four chance. Pericles. Yeah. I know it was interesting hearing John McNeil yesterday about Bankmore, who hit the line okay. He doesn't think it'll run two thousand. I know there's a little thought in that group that is it worth having a stab at the Australian Cup. So Virtuous Japanese, Circle, you would think goes Rose Hill Circle. He, he ran really nicely. Didn't well, he? Virtuous really Circle could win the Australian Cup at thirty three to one. Mm, potentially. I yeah. Amenable, I think, before we sort of round off on that, Guineas, I think he was arguably the unlucky yeah. runner in that race, given the fall. He was just starting to build momentum. Ollie was getting all the luck from one. And just when it looked like things started to to present on a plate for Amenable to be in the finish, that fall happens and and uh, and away we go. The, the frustration with the fall, Matty, and if you share my frustration about this, you can watch the replay unedited for about 12 hours and then we have this big snippet taken out of the replay uh where the fall occurs now i understand the theory behind it that you don't want to give anti-racing people fodder for uh you know to line you up and have a have a pot shot at, at the sport but when it comes to the customer and you, you're relying on video form etc to look at future races well, there's a 100-metre section that we just don't see. It was So uh, apart from watching it live or within those first hours when replays are, you know, on tab websites and the like, that disappears and you lose that, that bit of information. I think I understand the sensitivities, but once it's established that the jockeys are on the OK side, then I don't see any and reason. And the horses are OK. Horses are OK. Ethan Brown will be OK. Mark Zara walked away. In that context, I don't think you should edit reality in that sense um but but you know I, i'd also agree with the sensitivities where had had there been a terrible consequence for ethan brown um then i i'm always on the side well, of, i'm just yeah. having a look at the replay now and i've got to say I, I don't think it's that jarring um the way it's been edited i don't think you're missing 100 meters here sharky and I'm, well take take it take have a, have a look at this take a for instance you've got a tracking up behind 
basically alongside the two horses that fall. As he starts to go through, and then there's this there's this section you don't you don't actually see how horses or horses behind like Mr. Maestro have been interfered with. You don't see that. I still don't get how we edit stuff out, whereas if an AFL player um, snaps his leg on the field, they want to show us 50 different angles in slow yeah, motion. So I agree I with that. I actually don't quite... I think there's a Once move away a... from that now, Matty, you'll mm. find. I, I don't think that is occurring as much as what it has. Mm. And I, I was thinking about this during the week because I've, I've been a bit torn about this and I'm almost changing my mind. I know when we worked in the 7 newsroom, you would play the most graphic vision first. It's the story. It's what people... Um, is the big headline grabber. But I don't know if you need to keep replaying things over and over and over again. If I... Say you for certainly e- don't. No, say, I think it's disgusting. But, for example, but as far as a race replay goes, that's a different example, though. Yeah, it's a different example. So what do you do? Because you use a race replay um, for some form analysis. If the jockeys and horses are okay. Um, so say if those horses sadly, had to be euthanized. Would you go, okay, then we yeah. will cut that out? No, then you cho- that's what I'm saying. There's a distinction between everything's okay and yeah. everything's not, and that that affects the way I would view whether we should see the full replay or not. Nobody wants if, to see If the jockeys end horse, up but... dead and the horses are dead, then I don't think anyone wants to see that play no. out in a replay. If they're all okay and they walk away and you know that, then I don't see any issue with seeing the continuity of the race. Because that fall was probably just as graphic as what would have in other occasions seen horses um, have to be put down. But they weren't. Mm. That's the difference. And a lot of people watching that in the future would not know that. Well, I think, yeah, but who's going to watch it in the future randomly for no reason? I don't think people are sitting there yeah, watching I don't think going, any hippies oh, sitting wow, around a campfire is going to go, let's call that. up the 2023 Australian Guineas for no good reason. Yeah. Look, I, I can see both sides. I, I just watched a replay there. You know, you lose 50 metres. But that's the interference. That's the bit where the horses are interfered with, mm. you know, the other runners. So you're trying to say, you're trying to assess what impact that fall had on other horses in the race with a view to their next races, and you can't do it. So you just run it all regardless? I'm a bit, I'm a bit like Matty. I don't think anyone wants to see a horse stricken. If there's a serious injury to a horse, you probably don't... Like, Nobody likes watching a fall anyway. I'm not sitting here but, saying, I enjoy watching a fall. But it's part of real life. But it's part of well, real though. life. I, don't, I haven't seen yeah. anyone edit out the planes flying into the buildings. I haven't seen anyone edit yeah, out crashes right. in Grand Prix. So sometimes you've got to accept that things happen in life. It's over sanitising. And, and a couple of horses falling in a race at Flemington is something that's happened in life. So Racing's got bigger issues than editing yeah, out you exactly. know, that portion of a race because we have to protect the sport. I think there's other that's things we could that's exactly what the issue is. Well, it's re- the perception. It's the outside so, perception. Uh, I'm not yeah. saying it's right to do that, but I'm saying the argument there. So you just said racing's got bigger issues. That is the biggest issue racing has. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think that those who those are against horse racing are against it because you might get an, an, an inadvertent mishap. I think that's low down the list. That's gambling, th- you, animal exactly welfare, right. this, this, and this. I don't think a, um, a kind of a... But that's what almost killed jumps racing. No, dead horses in jumps racing is almost good. Jumps racing. Falls in, in races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was more about the deaths. So, anyway, it's past nine o'clock. We're going to take a... We're going to take a... Oh, Matt, anyway. he's, he's hit enough. He's off. Matt, he's off. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. We'll try and get Matty back uh, after nine o'clock. We want to talk about the other results as well, Sharky. Gee, how good is Benedetta? 75000 they paid from this sale mm. for her. And the Sydney uh, race replay, Zach Purton. He's going to be on a little later in the Big V as well. Could he be coming back? 
permanently to Australia. Welcome back to Racing Pulse. It is great to have your company on this Monday. The sun is shining brightly out here at Oaklands Junction and we are less than an hour away from the start of day two at the sales. We're about to have a chat to James Price. Before we do that, gents, I want to go through a few SMSs which have been coming in. Okay. Uh, fast, uh, thick and fast. Uh, Lads Amenable is one of the most unlucky horses going around at the moment. Finally drew a decent barrier. Should have been fighting at the finish. I think Sharky agrees with you. Hey Sharky, I'm with the early crow at the 200 on Japanese Empress. Silly me. Should have known better. Lucky I had him each way. Gee, it was a good run. Uh, it was a good run. I had a chat to Rupert Lee out here yesterday and he said that Mike Moroni told them you better take a, a, a bit of the hundreds, boys. The horse is flying. Just one run short. Most likely now head to Sydney. He's a, a horse with a lot of upside. Yeah, he is. I know we've probably covered a little bit of this, but you tell us about Satono Aladdin again. Uh, he's a group one in, uh, group one in, group one winning son of Deep Impact. I think he won the Yasuda Kinen by memory in Japan. He yeah. ended up in New Zealand at Rich Hill, who have had an absolute bonanza the last couple of years with Prasir going gangbusters, uh, Satono Aladdin. Uh, shuttling and doing a good job. Wasn't able to come out, so they missed a year. There were no yearlings this year. Uh, he did, couldn't come out during the uh, back into the COVID year. Mm. But yeah, he is uh, a little rising star of the, the stallion ranks well, over there. When James Price joins us from England, so I'm going to ask him a bit about the potential Japanese uh, m- meshing into our pedigrees and so on. I know mm. we've had Morris, and now we've got this Satono Aladdin, Mickey Isles, another one. Be interesting to see what the projection of their impact through oh. sales might be as well. Waiting desperately for for Price, he's a very busy man, to come out and look at our fierce impact foals, actually. So, A few more SMSs just before we get to James. Jeff uh, wants to say, uh, Felgate Freak is look a stretch. At, look at Felgate dealing with the sun on his screen. Against, Andrew, uh, can you get video of Michael <laughs> fighting with his the sun on his screen here? Uh, it's, it's quite humorous. It is hard to read. Um, uh, Jeff says that Freak is a stretch for Legato. Uh, does not deserve to be spoken about in those terms just yet, Sharky. Freakish win. Freakish win, that's probably I don't better. Think, uh, I don't You're think described as a, a freak. freak. <laughs> yeah, in slightly different context. Uh, I'll get to those when I can read them. The sun's just overtaken It's actually here. not that bad. I think it's more your your failing eyesight. There is your, oh, now see, there's our man. In your, mid, in your autumn years. Michael, you when know? you're trying to read it through bloodshot eyes like you seem to uh, do a lot these days. days and uh, let's get to James Price. Nigel Carmody's just shaking his head. He is. can't believe what he's seeing here. <laughs> he's a man of many talents because he's blocking the sun as well as running the sails here today. And, blocking uh, the sun. After day one, he's a big man. <laughs> He's a big unit. He's an eclipse. You're happy with the day one results? You had a record breaker, 1.1 million for the filly, the richest ever sold through the ring. Yeah, it was a terrific, very solid day and delighted for Nuralim to yeah break the record for a filly through this sale ring. Previous highest was $675,000, so it smashed through that record. So it's always nice to hit the million dollar mark. And uh, particularly for the Carrick family, it was great. Mm. I mean, she was a star, star filly by a star stallion, huge pedigree. So, look, it's it's hard to say she, you know, she was worth that figure when you're talking seven figures. But uh, yeah, terrific to uh, for that atmosphere yesterday to absorb. That was great. It's good, a good timing and a great result for the Carrick family, as you say. Like they've, they've put that much money into not only developing their property and upgrading that over the years, but also upgrading their mares and, and whatever else they were affected by the floods going back to October last year. So. 
timely, uh, timely result for them, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. They were one of the farms that was severely affected by the floods, and I think there's always a bit of nervousness with a filly like that mm. of of that value to you know where do you place them? There's always this oh well I should just go to Easter, you know that's where you get the top lots, but they really backed the sale they're backing victoria so and then you know for their for their judgment to be rewarded uh yesterday was terrific phil campbell's going to join us a bit later he, the former boss of uh um blue gum and he was always very parochial about the victorian sale it was always he'd rather be a big player at this sale than a relatively smaller player at say sydney easter and so on but what's the is the gap bridging, but we had a million dollar filly yesterday, is, is the high price gap closing between, say, Inglis Easter and Inglis, Inglis Premier in Melbourne as far as getting a lot more lots at Melbourne that creep closer to the, the higher echelon of the ones that go through Sydney Easter? I suppose it's probably, the gap's probably not closing desperately quickly. I think it's probably just raising the bar and raising the ceiling of what a horse can make here at Premier. People can have the confidence to uh, to bring it here and get that money. Obviously, you know, a huge um, thanks uh, must go to the Campbell family from Inglis. They've been huge supporters. As you say, they've forever, in the last few decades, wanted to support Melbourne and they have done with great quality horses and continue to, uh, to raise that bar. So full credit to, um, you know, what Phil's done for the Melbourne sale has then given the Carricks the um, confidence to bring that sort of filly yeah. and get the result they did yesterday. I spoke to you yesterday before, or as the first lots were going through the ring, and you said expectations were that it may be down 10 15% on last year, where it's a realistic type of view. Gold Coast almost seems impervious to any economic downturn, but the reality hits home here. What's your expectation after day one? Where What was it, down about 30,000 the average year on year? Uh, it was down about 15,000. 15,000. I think what we need to be listening to be, when we talk about the Magic Millions, we look at the top quartile grew at the Magic Millions, but the bottom three quartiles actually decreased. Yep. Yeah. They took more horses, they've catalogued more horses than they ever did, so this idea that the Gold Coast sort of defies any sort of economic downturn, well, it's not... That's actually not true. The statistics are that that sale actually declined. And that's what we've then seen with um, with Classic New Zealand and Premier. So there is caution in the market. People still pay really good money for a premium product, which they did yesterday. We saw um, you know $600,000 for a B2B Colt. The I'm Invincible filly of Yulongs out of Unforgotten makes its 650. So those premium qu- products... We've got to remember if we moved, remove the two years of COVID, we've just returned to yeah. a very healthy, realistic industry. Um, if we didn't have the years of COVID, we'd be thinking, well, this is a really good sale. It's mm. just because we're comparing it to 2022. Let's expand the timeline and go, well, compared to 2019, we're in a really good spot. Well, and it's a, a buyer and seller ecosystem as well. I'm always a little bit, uh, I always react a bit strange when everyone celebrates its high price is at yearling sales because that means it's a, a seller's market but when the prices come down a bit it's a buyer's market like uh like the housing market and so on so the- and we are back live uh, once again apologies there little technical hiccup we've now worked out what that big red button does don't press that again whatever you do uh, we're back with mick sharky Matty stewart and also james price james what's the highlight of day two uh, do you think we had a 1.1 million day one 
Can we get to seven figures today, do you think? I don't think so. I don't think there's an obvious million-dollar horse, but there's plenty of really nice horses in that, you know, two fifty to $500,000 range. And it's one of those sales that always throws up surprises. Uh, you know, you'll get that. There was a couple of perfect storms uh, yesterday in the ring, obviously, with the, the top-priced horse. But you get that perfect storm, and suddenly a horse is at 200, and it suddenly goes to 500 within, you know, the space of you know, six to eight bids, so it all happens very quickly. So probably not hit the seven-figure seven mark, but r plenty of really nice horses still to purchase. We're about to have a chat to Philip Campbell. There's been a, a changing of the guard at, uh, at Blue Gum, and I believe that maybe Philip's got a little interest in one that could be very prominent today. Uh, is he got every right to be excited with lot 499 the zoo star jester jingle he does yeah he's uh he's a star cult and he has been all the way along um obviously half to bruckner and by zoo star who knows no introduction so hopefully we can self send phil out on a wonderful note hey james just before we let you go and you transfer the gear to uh phil campbell but we were talking before about the, the japanese influence in and i remember when John Massara first brought Morris out. It was this great sense of anticipation about what this great middle-distance mile a Japanese horse could do to to our ranks. And we've, we've seen what's happened with Hitotsu and others. And now we've got Japanese Emperor with Satono Aladdin and there's Mickey Isle and so on. I'm not sure exactly how they've filtered through this particular sale, but it must be an exciting idea that in the next decade or so we're going to have a lot more of this... Uh, uh, internationalisation of our pedigrees through these strong Japanese pedigrees? Yeah, I think for so many years now we've tried to find an alternative to Danehill uh, that, that matches um, the Danehill blood. There's a bit of talk that, you know, does double Danehill work and we want to find something else to complement the pedigrees and also complement the physicals. Uh, so it it hasn't particularly had great influence in this particular premier sale, just the way the stallions have fallen, but we look to horses like um, Fierce Impact, who we look forward to seeing the foals of in the wheeling sales this year, and as you say, Satana Aladdin in New Zealand and Maurice. So, And they bring a, a different physicality to the horses that we know here. A lot of them can be those neater, sharper horses that we know, the Danehill line, but the Japanese horse typically are the bigger scopier They're horses. They're beastly, you say. aren't they? The They're beastly. beastly. <laughs> the beast from the east. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As we know, uh, Morris Abel was Friend? tagged as. Was, 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 there was another one. Was Abel Friend the beast from the east when he went to I think that was, that was Morris. They just put a beast on all of them. Yeah, yeah. he's a beast. Yeah. 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 yeah, But it's interesting, um, Satono Olympic, yeah. Satono, Aladdin's two. Japanese Emperor you mentioned in Grand Impact, both of them on the smaller side. Yeah, right. So, okay. smaller, sharper horses. James, good luck today, mate. I know it's going to be a, another uh, long day, and we'll catch up when we're out here tomorrow. Thank you very much. James Price, uh, the boss of uh, Inglis here in Victoria, and uh, the former boss of Blue Gum, who uh, is... Uh, he's looking... still got some of the merchandise. There's no doubt saying. about it. Uh, he's looking <laughs> relaxed. He's looking... Looking sun-kissed. Top Gun-esque, isn't he, he is with a those... bit. Uh, and he's get, getting ready for a very big day. It's great to see Philip Campbell. How are you, Phil? Very good, thanks, Michael. Very good. Is this a different feeling, this sale, for you? No doubt, yes. It's um, uh, a lot less pressure and a lot less stress, and uh, it's been quite enjoyable, as a matter of fact. It's been great being back here working with the guys for the week, um, helping out with parades and that sort of thing. Um, when Patty and I left the farm, we left an amazing crew that had been working there with us for a long time and uh, yeah it's just fantastic to be back working with them and um, hopefully we can have a good day in the ring today. Phil Trilogy Racing obviously taking over the Blue Gum 
uh, business, but keeping the brand and keeping the professionalism that you and Patty have worked so hard at establishing. And that stood out during parades. You, the team is so well organised. There's no waiting about for ages for horses. They're one after the other. There's somebody directing traffic with every parade, and it was probably three or four going on when I was looking. It, was that attention to detail something that you prided yourself in instilling in your team? Absolutely, Mick. Um, you know, you come here to sell your product and you want to show them off uh, as good as you possibly can. And uh, having done this for a long, long time now, you don't like to keep people waiting. You want to be as efficient as you possibly can. Um, get the horses out, keep them moving. We always try and have one more than one less person here to lead and show the horses um, because we do get a hell of a lot of traffic. And... Uh, it's definitely something that Patty and I have been very, very mindful of all the way through. Just customer service, really. Yeah. Phil, I've always been fascinated by the evolution of the stock and the upgrade of the stock. And I remember interviewing Angus Armanasco just before he died, and he spoke about when the Star Kingdoms came into his stable through Stanley Wooden, automatically they all got better and faster. And you were at Blue Gum for so long that you would have seen transitions in the in the in the the stock that you're dealing with through pedigrees and whether the yearlings that you were bringing annually to the sale changed, whether they got better or whether they they look different over over the decades. Have has the average yearling, especially through your Blue Gum lens, changed from the time you started to to this day now? Oh, absolutely, uh, Matt. I mean, the presentation of the article has evolved uh, like you wouldn't believe. Um, uh, gee whiz. I did two sales at uh, Wright Stevenson's uh, Dalgetty in Flemington and uh, I think there are a lot of yearlings back in those days that uh, came in from the paddock a week or two before the sale and, and came to the sale but now these horses are on I would suggest to you a minimum of eight week preparation, some of them longer depending on the individual um, and how they present here at the sales these days is of paramount importance. They've got to look as good as they possibly can They've got to be um, rehearsed uh, so that they can parade as well as they possibly can. And uh, oh, the change over the, that time has been immense. Are they better horses now than they were then? Oh, my feeling is that the pedigrees have become a lot uh, more robust than they were and more international. Are the, the yearlings that are graduating through here and then filtering through to the racetracks, are they better horses than they were 30 years ago or are they just a bit different? Um, oh. Well, there's a lot more of them. There's a lot more racing, obviously. So uh, there are definitely a lot more of them. And I think there are a lot more good horses, really good horses. Uh, and then, obviously, as you say, we introduce horses coming in from overseas as well. So, uh, yeah, I believe that uh, the quality of the horses definitely improved over that time. Um, and there's no doubt that the presentation of them has as well. Tell us about Lot 499, uh, the Zoo Star Jester Jingle Colt, who... A lot of people are saying could be the day two sale topper. Oh, well, um, I hope they're right, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> What's your personal benchmark? What's the highest priced blue gum yearling ever? Um, we sold Crosswinds two years ago for $1.1 million. He was uh, only the second horse to go through uh, this sale ring uh, at a million dollars and above. And um, obviously he uh, went on to be a very, very good two-year-old, a stakes-winning two-year-old. Uh, got knocked over first up in the race down the straight at Flemington last Saturday, but uh, now in the stable of Peter and Paul Snowden. We're looking forward to seeing him regain that two-year-old form. So he is the highest price yearling um, that we've sent through, um, Matt, but we've been so lucky to have so many of them. Um, 
selling them is one thing and it's a big thrill there's no doubt about that but I can honestly say to you that uh, sitting at home or being at the races and watching them perform on the on the track and win quality races uh, is the icing on the cake so will this lot 499 Eclipse cross Windsor's 1.1 I can't say that he's going to do the and that I haven't bought <laughs> Speaking of crosswinds, the full strength point one in the past. Is there a comparison point between obviously one's a Colt, one's a Philly? But can you make a comparison point between the two? Well, obviously, if you look at the page, Mick, it's exactly the same. Yeah. They're, they're different articles. Uh, crosswinds, to my eye, was a more complete, ready-made article as a yearling. Mm -hmm. uh, this filly is a bigger version. Mm -hmm. um, she's a stretchier version and she looks to me like she's going to uh, benefit from a little bit more time than maybe he gave the indication he would need. Um, having said that, she moves very, very well. Um, and she's got a bit of a presence about her. Uh, she's not going to make what he made, obviously, but uh, he's definitely helped her cause by becoming a stakes-winning uh, two-year-old, so she automatically has a very, very good value as a, a broodmare, so her residual value is terrific. But uh, before that, I definitely believe she's got a future on the racetrack. Philip, best of luck. Um, I know it's almost probably a little bittersweet seeing uh, the Blue Gun uh, farm horses go through without you side by side but it also means you've got plenty of time to hit the gym he's looking big isn't he and also <laughs> head overseas so wish you all the best with the lot today and well done on everything that you've achieved over the years of blue gum as well and uh thanks so much for your support over the years boys really enjoyed it it's been fun working with you good on you philip philip campbell uh from blue gum and uh he has what could be the biggest lot of the day going through a little later. We'll take a quick break. On the other side of this, Sam Freeman will join us. We're going to look at the rest of the card at Flemington and that scintillating win of Artorias in Sydney. Right, time now to have a chat to Sam Freeman, who joins us here live from uh, the Inglis Sales Complex after... The phenomenal win, Cosy. Get ready to play it of Artorias. At Imperatrice, raced the length clear from Electric Girl. Then came Golden Mile from Converge, Kerwin's Lane. But Imperatrice, a length and a half clear. Artorias is bursting home late. Imperatrice in front. Artorias! Wow, Artorias bombed her and won the Canterbury Stakes right on the wire. So Artorias beat Imperatrice, third between Electric Girl, Golden Mile, then Cascadia. All wins you'll see. And uh, that's what we've been waiting to see for a long time. And I bet Sam Freeman uh, was absolutely wrapped. And it took Zach Purton, arguably the world's best jockey, to unlock that sprint of Artorias. And Sam Freeman joins us. How are you, Sam? Good, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Where did you watch it on Saturday? I watched it in the GA at Flemington with my girlfriend. And um, I'd been saddling up elliptical just prior. So I only just got there before the before they left the barriers. So did you let out a yell? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did um yeah I mean I'm, I'm you get pretty used to seeing him run home strongly so you you're definitely not going an early crow but I did let something out late what was different about Saturday it was just purely the timing and then Zach Purton's genius he's he's coaxed the horse to hit that peak at the finish line rather than you know through the line you know what 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 did you see it was it was um there was a few factors. I mean, we made it pretty known that we, you know, this prep more than probably any other, we really wanted to have him involved in the race early, and 
you know, you let a horse develop through its career and he just had a habit of just being slow out. And to be fair to the horse, I don't think it's him not being genuine. I don't think it's him. I think it's just his character. If you work with the horse around the stable, he's like an old gelding. You know, you lead him on the end of a lead and he's half asleep most of the time. So behind the barriers, Zach kept him very active, which we did in the trial uh, when he began on terms in both his trials this time in. Um, You know, and I think that made the difference. You know, he began three quarters of a length better than he did every other start and he subsequently settled, you know, with a bit of vigorous riding at the start. He settled two or three lengths closer than he would, would how, normally. How big a factor was that pertinent in yeah. all of what you just described? Yeah, very important. Yeah, very important. I mean, he's obviously one of the best in the world and, and knew his job. And I think not even having a sit on the horse before, you know, helps because some jockeys have had a sit on him and they, you know, they might get a bit sick of the way he is and it's a bit of hard work for him and they, they know what he's like and they get a little bit um, sour on him. And I think Zach having a you know, fresh hands on him and, and obviously coming to Sydney and having a point to prove he was really, you know, there to do something and do a job and, and did it perfectly. Even turning in while other horses were sort of just being held together and nursed around that corner, Zach was just starting to niggle and get him to make sure that he was on the job and he was switched on and you could see that head starting to flatten out as it does when he starts to chase horses. Were you confident at that point that things were potentially a bit different this time around that he he was making sure the horse was accountable that's the right thing making him accountable because he he can spit the bit at times and you go geez what's going on here but he didn't let him get to that stage and he kept up him from the basically from the 800 he was getting him stoked up um and he starts with his head quite high and yeah. he sort of just gradually just gets lowers lower out, doesn't yeah it? yeah and then late you know he's got his ears pinned back and he's chasing um you know, as long as he's got something in front of him, you wouldn't be afraid of him running down anything if he's in touch the last 400, you know, not to make a comparison to a horse like Chautauqua, but when they when they get to their peak speed, whatever's there, they're, they're going to be, you know, closing off. The, the resilience that he's... It, it seems like European trips can either have a lingeringly negative effect or can really sort of they can mature off it as well. And I don't reckon Nature Strip came back any as good afterwards, but did that... A lengthy European trip in some way make Artorias? I think so. He's um, He came back and, and the spring, we, we pulled up stumps in the spring. We had him sort of nearly ready. And, and it has to be said, he wasn't in a great way, to be honest, when he came back. Um, his coat was confused. He looked, he didn't look great. Is that he because look... of the seasons or is there anything yeah. else? Yeah. Look, we had a thing called an equilume on him, which a lot of breeders would, would know, mm-hmm. which just to try and get him used to... Um, a different hemisphere. So before he went over to Europe, his coat looked perfect over there in the summer. And then he came back to our summer and his coat went to full coat. And he just looked a bit unwell. He was a little bit underweight and he just didn't wasn't doing well. So we just pulled up stumps and credit to Henry and all the team. They were, they were happy to just do what was right by the horse and he had a nice break. And really, probably three or four weeks ago, he, he started to look like the Artorias that was in England and you know his work reflected how he looked and felt and um, you know we were very confident going into Saturday that he was going to run a good race. So with that I suppose effect of last year are you still as keen to go back this year? We are yeah yeah I think we are it's um with Zach with Zach <laughs> Zach can go wherever he goes if he's available <laughs> um and again you know you look at his run in England and it's the same story if he's two lengths closer he probably wins mm. He may not have won the July Cup, but he wins at Royal Ascot, and he's probably 
people probably forget he's run in France. He bounced the gates and he was actually there and a horse fell in his lap at the start and he got spat out the back. But now you look at his last couple of starts and all his trials, he's been beginning a lot better. So we'll have the intent of, of heading back over. He's got to hold his form now and he's got to you know do everything right. Um, he's obviously a very valuable horse, so you know he'll come first. And um, as I said, Henry and, and all the owners, they're they've been brilliant to deal with you you know it's a dream to have owners like that who just let you plot your path with him and and um you know hopefully we can get him back over there and get some redemption in a sporting context a win for a team or a player that's been out of form can do wonders for content uh, for confidence do you see any change in like a four-year-old ball like him that's probably been chasing a few home he's finished in front do they have a different pep in their step in days following, or is it just business as usual? Do we sort of read too much into that? Look, I think with him, it probably started before Saturday. I mean, we had intent in his second trial to win the trial, and, and the words were to James McDonald, who trialled him, you know, do what you can to be winning this trial and win it well, because he's, he hasn't won a trial and he hasn't won a race for a long time. He's just so used to having something in front of him. And, and they are herd animals, so they do get used mm. to just having something around them. So going clear in the trial... In his gallop, the exhibition gallop, we actually decided to lead up in a piece of work, which he's never done in his life. Um, we had the visors on him for that. And Annabelle Neesham, you know, had a chat to her on the morning of the gallop to say, look, can you, can we put the horse right up on his girth so he can feel it there? And little things like that that just help get a horse the confidence to kick on and, and go clear of them, albeit he got there very late on Saturday. They, they do help to... Um, give a horse some confidence. Hey, we'll talk more about some of the horses that ran on the weekend and, and ahead as as well. But you guys, like a lot of really big stables, had a really really flat spring. Like they just the ball was bouncing left instead of right. And but the autumn's been just really really great. Is was that the sense in the spring that you were a carnival behind almost, and that you're waiting for the summer and the autumn to come along? Yeah, we did. We had a, a lackluster spring, and we're you know we're our harshest critics, so we were pretty brutal and honest about in conversations we were having as what to, were those conversations oh look between dad and i it was it was looking for where it might be going wrong and i think there was a combination of a lot of things at play there was you know this we'd done very well with the two-year-old and i don't think the two-year-olds trained on to be great three-year-olds so you're left with potentially stakes winning two-year-olds that you know they're rated out of probably where they should be in the spring so you're in a position where horses are racing and out of their depth in races they have to run in and they're not up to it. I think a mixture of that. The, the weather played a big part. Our, you know, we, we're, our horses tend to perform a lot better on top of the ground. And, you know, you see that in the start of the autumn, we're always pretty ready to go. Our spring just takes a little bit of time to, to come to. So when the weather picks up and the tracks dry out, generally our horses will, will start to improve. Given where Pinecliffe is situated and the weather conditions coming out of the winter, it tends to stay a little bit more damp down that part of the world. Does that have an impact on on the horses preparing for a spring carnival? The, the, probably the, those turf tracks down there are just carrying that little bit more moisture? It definitely does. Yeah, it does. It's, um, yeah, it's a challenge when the tracks are so wet. I'm sure every trainer in Victoria and w- would face the same... The, the weather down here is pretty brutal and unpredictable, and we've always said... Sydney trained horses at the start of a spring are probably a length or two lengths ahead of Victorian trained horses. And sometimes down in the peninsula, if you're getting worse weather, you might be half a length off a horse that's trained in town. So you're then probably two and a half lengths off a horse coming from Sydney. 
And then you look at Queensland who bring horses down from there and they're ready to fire at the start of a spring and they all come out all guns blazing. Um, and so we're always looking at a way to hit the spring harder and faster and be ready to go. Generally our horses, even you know Guinea's horses and that sort of thing, they take a run or two to really come to themselves. But um, we've yeah analysed it pretty closely and, and that's the general feel that, that when it's... When the weather does turn to, you know, part, you know turns to shit and you've and you sort of got wet tracks everywhere and a lot of their trials are on heavy ground and it just takes a bit of the sprint out of them, um, it, it can be hard to start a preparation mm. off like that. Mm. I reckon his grandmother, Del, would have washed his mouth out with soap if she'd heard it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, very polite. The Freedmen's are gypsies. They, they've trained everywhere. and Freedmen's are gypsies. And I, I'm, I may have misheard... Not exactly selling caravans, Pinecliff, are you guys going to be there forever in a day? Or what's the story with Pinecliff? Oh, yeah, we've got no no intentions of, of going anywhere, yeah. Um, love it down there. Wouldn't, wouldn't, um, wouldn't be giving that up as long as we can be still there. So Jonathan's... Doing, Jonathan Munz is doing a lot of works to the place at the moment. You know, we're, we're actually dividing a few boxes and he's upgrading the tracks over the next 12 months. So we're going to be putting in a um, yeah, new sand track and the grass track's getting a big renovation over the next year or so. So there's there's definitely, you know, planning for the future. And um, you know, Have you ever vintage. recruited staff from the nudist beach? <laughs> Well, Staff shortage at the moment. We'll take them from wherever we can get them. That's his dream. That's his absolute dream. Matt brings up the nudist speech every week. <laughs> he finds an obsession. Some may say success. No, but there's oh, a staff sure. shortage at the moment. So if I go to Pinecliff and find all these naked hippies doing stable work, you'll know the recruitment drive only went down to sunny the start. He's got and girlfriend. that would be the only way you'd get Matt at track work. Um, <laughs> were you disappointed with the elliptical on Saturday? Oh, look, initially, yeah, I was. It was, um, you know, you're a victim of drawing a really good gate, and I think we rode him probably a little bit warm just for the circumstances of the race. Thank God we did, given the, what happened with the fall and everything like that, which was pretty horrendous, and, you know, thinking of Ethan hopefully makes a really speedy recovery. But it's, um, he presented at the top of the straight like he looked like the winner, I thought, um, and just didn't quicken like he has been. Really put it down to his first up run, he was ready for a 1400. He might not have been ready for a, a really hard run like he had, which was making a long searching run from the 800, and he reeled off some really good sectionals. You don't see it in their training in the two weeks between runs because, you know, we haven't done a lot with him, but he raced like he might have just been, you know, a bit of second up syndrome and a little bit flat. So um, I'm sure he'll bounce back. We'll still push on to Sydney with him and, and present him in the Rose Hill Guineas. Sam, the, the Kiwis really stood up on the weekend, I reckon, uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, and then we're going to see Levante next week. And some of the great historic Freedman horses, Superimpose and others, have come from New Zealand. Doremus. Just with the Doremus and others. Uh, is naturalism originally a Kiwi? Oh, that's, that's testing Palace my music. Yeah, yeah, not sure. Uh, what's the, the faith in the New Zealand product these days? I know there's a few New Zealand breeders represented this week. Are you guys still... Is it part of your annual cycle to really try and tap into the Kiwi market? Absolutely, yeah. We've got um, a Kiwi, obviously. Brad Taylor is our racing manager, so he's always looking um, looking for horses off trials, and, and we were active there at the sales. They seem to breed very tough, sturdy horses that withstand you know hard preparations. Every year they come out here, and they've you know everyone will doubt the Kiwi form, and they come out and they stand up, and you know, they probably. They probably forgot about that filly in the race on Saturday who'd presented with really good form and was very unlucky in her last start over there. So, um, you know, we're always looking. And, and it is hard because there's 
every trainer here is looking so you get into a bit of a dutch auction with horses sometimes where they win trials and you've got to sort of be pretty sharp on knowing which ones are the right ones to buy so um it helps having a kiwi in the camp that can try and get some inside information mm. uh what are you looking forward to next couple of weeks obviously arturius and elliptical is there anything else coming through the stable that we should follow oh look we've got some young horses that are coming through that have probably still got to you know go and do it we've got a couple of older horses that might um got a nice enough horse called third realm who's come from from england who's um the same connections as without a fight who will um who will run maybe in a couple of weeks in sydney he's waiting on some soft ground he's got some very good form he beat a derby winner over there in england um he'd be one to keep an eye on as the trips get a bit longer it might not be this preparation but he might shape up as a as a very good spring horse over a trip what about without a fight He's under saddle. He obviously had that little issue in the spring. Um, he had surgery. He had a screw put into a, a fetlock. And, and for all the criticism, I think that um, Racing Victoria get um, for all the you know the protocols with internationals. That horse, we didn't know him that well going into the spring. We got him after the Melbourne Cup, and it was a fairly quick turnaround. Um, and the scans that they compared showed that there was a, a slight issue. And in that scenario, I'd go as far as to say they probably did avoid a potential issue. Um, and so there's a positive to that. I know that we all get up them when, mm. we're, when we're on the other end of the stick. But um, So does having the screw inserted, does that affect him for scans, etc., going forward, or is that deemed an acceptable mediation for what was a uh, potential injury? Yeah, so that was their recommendation. It was either to give him a really extended time off and then do another scan to make sure that it, it had healed, or it was to go ahead and put the screw in and and then they'll obviously come and assess him on a couple of occasions before we get him to a trial or anything. He's still a little way off. He's just cantering at the moment. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably try to get him up to up to Queensland, I would imagine, and then, um, you know, look to the spring next season. TJ, is that the next start for Artorias now? It's We're going to have a good discussion about it. It's, it's either the TJ. I still think the all-ages is this okay. perfect race. Um, I do think the horse performs very well fresh, and his record is, is saying that. He won the Blue Diamond off a month. He won in, or he raced very well in England off a long break. He's won first up this time in. Um, so we'll have a good chat, and, and we'll probably work it out over the next few days. And will Zach be back? That will be the plan, Zach to come back, <laughs> exactly. All right, and then all roads lead to Royal Ascot again. Yep. That's the plan. You'll take the girlfriend, obviously. <laughs> She's doing her masters at uni, so I'm not sure she'll be able to uh, take the time off. But I might be able to duck over. He's hopefully. already got it worked <laughs> out. Where do horse trainers meet girls? Because your hours are so weird. Not the nudist speech, Matty. <laughs> I'm thinking well, Sunny side. He's got, he's got some modelling work on the side, Matty. If you've been following his Instagram, so he's obviously mixing in circles outside of racing for these. And if you, uh, and if you find your girlfriend at Sunny side, the information's all oh, not <laughs> Sunny side again. We need to take a break. Unless Sunnyside can sponsor us. Uh, hey, Sam, good luck at the sales, mate. Well done on the weekend. No, cheers. Thanks, guys. Sam Freeman. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about the rest of Flemington. And there's a couple of big horses we want to talk about from Sydney as well. Half cabin still a long way back. And in a bit of traffic at the moment. Then Lindemann moved up now to take the lead from Communist Looming. Then Zoo Tiger and Half Cabin is slicing into the clear. Communist races up. Communist hits the lead in the round with Guineas and is broken clear. And it's a Zach Purton Group one double. Communist broke away to beat Lindemann. Zoo Tiger third. Aft cabin. Oh, you'd be feeling seasick there. It's run fourth every chance at the end. Oh, I like that little play on words there. Aft cabin. Uh, Sharky, that would have tickled your fancy, but it wouldn't have tickled the fancy of anyone who backed Aft cabin. Is he a sprinter, not a miler? Well, uh, James McDonald sort of made that 
a little uh, made that little comment after the race, didn't he? That maybe he just didn't get that strong mile. Uh, you know what that does? I know people like you who are on at the big odds in the Caulfield Guineas. It might just relieve a bit of that. Do you know what angst? It it was almost like a counselling session when mm. I thought about it after Saturday because. Maybe he wasn't the moral Maybe he that wasn't. most of us thought in the Caulfield Guineas. Maybe he wasn't. But you know what he is? He's a really good, fresh sprinter, 12 to 1,400 metres. He's, you know, he's a, a, a potent force in that sort of race. Uh, a couple of those, I think, we learned don't really get a strong mile. Zoo Tiger would probably be the other one. Well, Osipenko mm. comes out. So what's the overall strength of that race? Like, communist he never really was something that everyone was saying, hey, have a look at him. He's one of the top three-year-olds. Right place, right time, gets a Group 1 win. Yeah, communist, right place, right time, absolutely. He's a horse with ability, but I don't think many saw him winning a Group 1 on the weekend. Uh, but, yeah, he did. Lindemann, with that, I guess, that offbeat form line, was able to get into the finish and, and run an enormous race. The other horse I think you want to take out of the race is Williamsburg particularly from a Rose Hill Guineas point of view. I thought that was a great run. Uh, probably tempo wasn't wasn't there for him on the weekend, but he was he was good that last 200 metres, and I'd expect he'd be a force in the Rose Hill Guineas. Mm. Is there a... I thought that um, Zoo Tiger may have been the one, but then comes out of the race with Abdullah saying, did he really run 1,600? I'm thinking of well, what's the three-year-old that's going to have 50 kilo kilos on its back and be the, the one to beat in the Doncaster. Well, I don't know if one's there yet. Is there one that's sticking its hand out? Unfortunately, the, the horse most likely to, to do that, the horse that looks the true miler, probably 2,000 metre horse in time, was Osipenko, and we didn't see him on the weekend. So so he'll now go to the George Ryder. Mm-hmm. Now, where does Animo go? Does Animo go George Ryder, or does he go... He's got to step up, Randvert. Randvert. There's options for these horses in there. You'd think that'd go towards a Randvert. Uh, Zoo Tiger maybe is a candidate to go to an all-aged. Yep. Because it looks like a mile's beyond him. So, oh, but is previous... a mile by, beyond him if he's got 50 kilos in a Doncaster? Wow. He wasn't able to beat Communist and Lindemann, who went off at $16 mm. a pair. In what you, what you can argue was a Rarewick Guineas that probably had a bit of a tail. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. And, and do you know what it is? It's the dilution of the three-year-olds in Victoria and Sydney. But it's the beast that we have. Speaking of beast, lot 276 has just wandered by, which will be one of the first lots through on day two here. Musk Creek. And speaking of milers, again, the blamey stakes on Saturday. Gentleman Roy, was he a touch disappointing? Did... Was the pressure too much for Gentleman Roy? Tuvalu was very disappointing, but he's pulled up lame. So there's another question mark real star mile for both Gentleman Roy and maybe Tuvalu. They seem to be going a fair tempo in front. I thought they were overdoing it. For, for a race where I think most expected Gentleman Roy just to control the race as he liked, with so many, uh, I think it was six horses first up or, or near enough in that race that wanted more ground, he ran time in front that I would have thought would have brought those horses into the race and ultimately it brought non-conformist who has been on cups campaigns and been super competitive and very good weight for age 2000 meter races it brought him into things late in the race now whether that was by design uh, whether the Hayes team and Mark Zara wanted to make it a test and catch those horses for fitness or whether the horse got a, got going a little bit and was doing it a bit strong in himself I'm not exactly sure but uh, not having seen feedback from Mark Zara for that race, but yeah, it, it seemed to be 
I, I guess we've said in a couple of weeks too, Matty, the tempo on these races, all the speed map pervs out there and everyone who tries to map to an nth degree where horses are going to settle in runs and what speed they're going to go, sometimes it goes out the window. I, I think the Gentleman Roy situation's kind of easily explained in a way. There was that little setback. Maybe they went a little bit... Every fraction was a little bit quicker. So I reckon it just adds up to what we saw on Saturday and here comes out next starts and... And it's the real Gentleman Roy. I think that's that's what happens, isn't it? It was an explainable, unplaced run. The market still liked him. He was he hung around that 280 to 290 mark throughout betting on race day, which is the best guide. Don't worry about what early market moves are. Race day markets are the best guide. And he was the one they wanted in that race. So it wasn't as if the market took a set against him suddenly at the end based on... Expect a tempo but those, or those, or those markets aren't irrefutable, though. I hear those guys you know, talk about market expectation and all this sort of stuff. Well, I don't know what people framing the markets can do to delve into the fitness levels of a horse who's had a setback on a private training Well, track. take non-conformers for point uh, of reference, right? So uh, certainly I didn't factor him into the race... Uh, having a look at it prior to Saturday, and I don't well, think Graham many did. did. Didn't they, they were they were like if he runs on runs a place that'll be that'll be lovely. Uh, a win would be a bonus. They well, weren't expecting it. But I think well, I think the late firm represented uh, the way the day was playing out, the barrier, the map. You know that those things that come together at the last minute. I think well, that's that why is, those firming. Well, that is the market. Happen. That's yeah. the same market that that said Gentleman Roy was a really strong chance. Yeah, and also identify nonconformists as being potentially over the odds. But how does the market assess Gentleman Roy as being a gallop short? How does it know that it's a well, it can I, assess think, that's what I'm I don't think it I don't think it did assess Gentleman Roy as being a gallop short. They wanted the horse, so as far as all... No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It was a gallop short, but the market's not no, to know that. I don't know if it was a gallop well, it short. Had a, it had a setback leading into the race. Oh, it, it, if it was a gallop short, I don't think it starts off that. And Lindsay well, Park it, it, pretty strong The market the isn't the right. god. The market doesn't know everything. Ben and JD Hayes know everything. Were, they said he was 100% ready to go on Saturday. Well... Um, non-conformist, is he a genuine Australian Cup contender now? It has to be. I think he, he probably was going into that race. It was just whether you thought he could win a blame mistakes first up. But, you know, he's been... Okay, during the spring, he was... He flitted, didn't he, Matty? He sort of... He, he threatened to, to show his best, but he wasn't... Just seemed to be that length off... The previous spring. I reckon Do you agree so, with that? Yeah, I agree. But I think some horses... Like, as Sam Friedman said, they had an average spring in a good autumn. I think some horses just last spring with La Nina, they never got, they never hit stride. It was a wet spring. You know, they just never got into that sort of rhythm that he's got a lovely platform now, nonconformist, hasn't he? What so, about, what price what would he have started in that, uh, in that race on Saturday had he come off the 2021 spring form where he was second to Probabil beating a nose in a Caulfield stake, second in a Caulfield Cup? Like, he probably starts nine or ten dollars in a blamey, but for that. Average uh, carnival, absolutely just gone. So nonconformist will go to the Australian Cup as a eight to one chance. I still think uh, the three a three year old will win it. Will Which win one? It well, Pericles. Well, he, he's he's hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, what about the run of Ryzan? Yeah. Mm. The way he hit the line, two hundred mm. to one. He's got golden sixty form. Yeah, yeah, and another one of these Hong Kong horses that comes back to Australia, seemingly rejuvenated under our conditions and lifestyle out here for these horses. He's a group two place getter up there. Uh, yeah, eight years old. Like, it's it's just the it's the latest candidate in a in a string of these horses that have been well not retired but transferred back to Australia. It's a funny flowback, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um, how do they how do they get these horses? Will will we see these Hong Kong horses suddenly appearing on English digital auctions as as tried horses? Because there is definitely a market for them. If you could access them yeah. 
It's I, the ones I've who got get people asking me, how can we buy who, them? Yeah, no, exactly. So, you know, there's obviously a market for these horses. A couple of quick ones, Sharky. We're going to break into the 10 o'clock news, and then we still haven't spoken about Benedetta. We still haven't spoken about the two-year-old's Giga Kick, passive-aggressive, amazing performances. Uh, just give me a thumbs-up, thumbs-down. He's a shocker. Uh, yeah, that probably got too far back. Just worked a line. He was okay. Bear story? Uh, okay, I thought he'd go a little bit better. Luna Flair? Luna Flair was great. Yeah. Greenberg would be stoked coming out of the blamey. And what do you do with Tuvalu? Oh, I don't know. Something... Pulled up a little lame. See, I think He's that's... on antibiotics. Right. Like, there's got to be a big question mark heading to an all-star mile for, for Tuvalu now as yeah. well. Uh, we'll take a break. After 10 o'clock, we're going to speak to the man that produced the sale topper yesterday. $1.1 million. Uh, Peter Carrick from Neuralind Park. We'll talk about those great performances in Sydney as well. Uh, Graham Begg will join us when he uh, arrives out here. Uh, Zach Purton, don't forget, he uh, has just arrived back in Hong Kong after coming to Australia and taking the two Group 1s. We'll speak to him on the phone. Could that be? An entree into what we're going to see a lot more of. Could Zach be back permanently? We'll ask him a little later on the program. We're live from English Premier Sales out at Oakland's Junction. Back after the news. This is an RSN Super Morning. Live from the English Melbourne Premier Healing Sale. And it is great to have your company. Day two of the English Premier Sale. We are live from Oakland's Junction. Myself, Matty Stewart, Mick Sharkey. Matty Nevitt will be jumping in after 11 o'clock with the big V. And the boys will take it uh, through till around about 1 o'clock with plenty of special guests. And speaking of special guests, we've got one right now who still has a big smile on his face because Cashed. Peter Carrick, the boss of Neuralem Park, after yesterday, $1.1 million, the sale topper on day one for what's being dubbed a special filly, Sharky, and a history maker because for the first time, $1.1 million has been reached for a filly at the English Premier Sales. And, of course, she was a daughter of I Am Invincible. Uh, Pete, great to see you. Congratulations. Thanks, Michael. Some sort of story behind this filly, Pete, and one of the... One of the greats of Australasian blood soccer, arguably yeah. some would say the greatest, gave you a tap on the shoulder when you bought her as a yearling. Yeah, uh, Sharky, we, uh, you follow me around a lot at the sales, so you, you do find <laughs> out all my stories. But um, uh, Sir Patrick, uh, God bless him, but he's um, tapped me on the shoulder when I bought that filly. Uh, we paid 160 as a yearling. And, um, yeah, he, uh, he said to me, son, that will pay for your farm. Wow. Yeah, and I'd never forgot that, to be honest. So, unfortunately, the racing career wasn't to the expectation that we thought, but um, always a stunning-looking mare. Uh, sorry, uh, Philly, and uh, turned into a stunning-looking mare. Um, and to produce... She looks after herself, this mare. She's, um, she has one on, one off, um, and only produced two runners. Um, we've got Miss Rosiana um, with Galligatus, Um Matty, Manny, yesterday, God, just brave, brave bid. He was the underbidder. Was so he? did he go to a million? Did he? A million and fifty. Wow. Yeah. So Hawks, uh, I think they dropped on the mill, and then um, Manny at a million and fifty. He was there all the time, and um, of course um, Tony Fung and uh, Sally Williams. She just uh, put the icing on the cake at one one. When you when you get a broodmare that's a gold mine, what what's is there a management? 
component to, to how you manage the breeding career of that mare? Do you have to sometimes opt out of a season for the greater good? How, how do you manage a, a gold mine mare properly? Look, I'm not the one to be asking that question. My son's very good at it. He's, mm-hmm. um, he's really he's been setting all our market for our mares and where we go. Um, however, um, the mare tells you herself what she's, what she's wanting to do. It's just how far you want to put your hand in your pocket and take it to the next level. And that's where we started off breeding and taking them mares, average mares to higher stands, which failed and cost me a lot of money. So you've got to come back to reality and, and, and get some advice at what level do you think you'll sell the progeny. Um, and, and hence, she's blue blue blood. She's, she's the one. So you just go to the top? Go to the top. Yeah. Yep. From that great diamond lover family, yeah. famous family in New Zealand. We are just talking before you joined us, Pete, about the influence of uh, New Zealand uh, thoroughbreds in Australian racing. It's not only on the racetrack that we're seeing success with horses like Legato, but the pedigrees, yeah. you know, those those New Zealand pedigrees continually produce good horses. Look, we um, we picked horses on type. Don't get me wrong. I love it. You've got to have a type. You've got to have a good head. Mm. You've got to have a body. You've got to have all that. But you've got to have a page as well. And hence, that's what we're doing now. We're we're buying both. So, um, as I said to Sharky before, I said I've got a, a very good mare in Crystallise that I paid 1.3 mil, and we've gone the hard yards from yearlings right to brood mares and and uh and now throwing their prog- progeny but um yeah they're our two uh key mares at the moment how big is the pedigree matching with the mares do you just aim at the, the stands that are going to give you the best commercial return at the yearling sales or do you think beyond that is there a, a sort of a fork in the road where you've, you've got a list of five stands and then which one is actually most suited to this mare um I think size has got a lot to do with it. I'm sure Shaki will tell, uh, back me up there. You can't go big to big. Mm. Um, you've got to really get that balance right. And um, I think um, also you look back at the families. You've got to see the proven family line and the crosses. They've got to be to got to match that perfect cross. It's amazing with some mares, isn't it? I remember Mick O'Leary used to have all these. A string of horses out of the same female family or the same mare by absolute nondescript size and every one of the progeny won 15 or 20 races. So there's a click that works sometimes and it's not necessarily obvious. Look, I should have had another mare um, or a filly mare. Um, We made an offer for very elegant after its first race. Oh, really? I uh, offered 650 and they um, knocked me back. They wanted 750. Uh, Adam Matthews put us onto the deal, and um, I said, "It's a Z. You've got to be bloody kidding! I'm not paying 750 for a Z." And um, yeah, that was the end of that story. And <laughs> <laughs> they rang. They didn't ring me back, and Ozzy Kerr jumped in for half. I think. Uh, so, tell us a bit about the background of Neuralin Park. It's a name that a lot of people follow. You know, loosely follow the the bloodstock side of things. We'll have heard of and seen. Based in Arcadia, just out in the Gamby, but. Your background's not in racing so much. You've had other successful uh, businesses, but yeah. why why breeding? Why racing? Um, so Neuralon Park was founded in 1865 by an Englishman. Um, I've got all the history on that because my next door neighbour, who's the only house that lives within Cooey of me, because I've got 1,700 acres there, he owns all the newspapers in Shepparton. And I went to build a house on the corner where a shearing shed was, and he said, don't build there. 
he said this is the first building within this whole area since 1865. So there is a lot of history in it, and that's what the Nuralum Park name is the Indigenous name. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you you know, there's the big lodge, the Nuralum Lodge, and that up there. Um, But, uh, yeah, to me that was... You know, when I drove in over that, because we're surrounded by water, we have 15 kilometres of uh, river frontage, and we are surrounded by a channel on the other side with a rail line. So the the serenity of when you drive in, it, it just ends at the river. Mm. And I thought, no, nah, this is something I've got to develop. Um, had no idea it was going to get to 1700. I had uh, 286 in the first title, and, uh, and we started spending a lot of money. And you're on a good thing, you stick and, to it. And we've, you know, really haven't cut any corners. We've developed the farm now with there's 48 boxes available. Um, and we want to progress that to Magic Millions um, with a definite 10 and try and do 20 here. We've got 28 here uh, this side. We don't need 28. You, you've got a lot of staff you've got to mm. nurture and worry about. And and the same thing, Sharky, with the folding down, as you know, it's 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 a hard gig doing yeah. the filing down well, we had 170 mares booked for filing down we got to 100 and then the flood hit us so I had to remove 100 mares and uh, and, and all, all the horses off the farm to fix that situation it's all back normal now so T- tell us about the mother nature side of it as well because it's all very well to be looking after brood mares but we, the floods were unbelievable through La Nina there's periods of drought where you've got to worry about the pasture and things like that it's it's an amazingly complex um business that you're in isn't it but take us back um a year well it was only last october with that flood but i'll i've got to get my piece out here because um someone's got to be made accountable for this the um all the weirs now um are privately managed greed for the water and, and they were all told in June to keep 15% airspace. Um, our rivers were quite high at the time because we'd had a lot of rain. And, and this is why they um, announced that you've got to keep that airspace. They chose to ignore that. And they. When you say airspace, you mean keeping three quarters full, not brimming? Yeah. Well, it's 85% yeah. full. Yeah. And leave yourself that room for a La Nina to hit, which was 10 trillion litres of rain in two weeks. How does the weirs, how do the rivers cope with that when you've got weirs 104%? Mm. So out they let. And, and honestly, that's caused the grief to all the farms up in our area and, and onwards, all the way back over to Adelaide. Mm. Is it insured against? No, there is no flood insurance to any rural property at all. Um, so that Hence was the importance of them keeping the levels not at... Correct. Yeah. yeah. Now, you'll hear a lot more about this, but um, it's, you know, a lot of us, I'm not the... I'm a, tour, a bit of a Turak farmer, but a uh, uh, lot of the big boys up there are getting de- getting together and making their point made, you know. Who well, do they make that point to? Um, look, the water, Golden Water, Murray, Golden Murray Water, is probably one of the first sources they've got to go to because they're the ones that actually determine what water's to be given to them and, mm. and let out to the rivers and to maintain our farms. Uh, well, we stand by, keep us informed what's going on there in regards to that because it was devastating, the impact it had on so many farms in the area. Uh, from those times to yesterday, it's been a, a difference in emotions. Uh, so congratulations. Have you got a couple today that you think will go well? I've got a very nice um, written tycoon out of Belle Celine. 
mm-hmm. um, which is Belle's uh, half uh, half sister. Uh, sorry, full sister. Um, and he ran on Thursday night in that Pakenham mm. uh, race series. Um, ran third, came home pretty hard. And um, yeah, we're we're expecting her to go reasonably well. There'll be a lot keen with her. And and there's quite a few others in our draft at the moment. So I think. So just a quick one. Uh, those are main, main, just very just to touch on. Written Tycoon and I'm Invincible. The, the the stories of those two stallions is incredible in itself, isn't it? With the the lack of opportunity for Written Tycoon and then firing late in his career and the amazing story of I'm Invincible. So not all the stallions come from the perfect blue blood situation either, do they? There's there's always circumstances that take them to where they end up. I think we've got about six Written's down there, um, mm. which has given us a strong draft. Mm. Um, When's Eivor going to come to his end? Yeah. Like, he's just an amazing stallion. Absolutely. Yeah. Well done yesterday, Peter. Uh, enjoy the afterglow today, and good luck for the rest of the sale. Thanks, Michael. Sharky and Matty. Thank Peter you. Carrick from Maryland. We're going to take a quick break on the other side of this. Uh, we'll talk about a horse that was stunning on the weekend. Who we went through this sale and cost just $75,000, Benedetta. But here comes Benedetta, the favourite over the top of them. The filly takes the lead. She draws a length and a half, two legs in front and is coming away for a dominant win. Benedetta won it by almost three legs, Paris Dior insurrection. Cythera four. They were followed by running by and next Mullane, next Brudendale. She was an incredible performance, Benedetta, on the weekend. Uh, she was Jardin absolutely Ma- phenomenal. Sharky, there was no other horse after 100 metres that you wanted to be on, she just travelled so beautifully in the run. Uh, she is a potential star in the making. Uh, listening to Jason Warren after the race and Dan Stackhouse, she has got so much upside. You get $10 about her on Friday yeah. when we were speaking about her. You know, for all the hype that you get sometimes in these uh, big field races about horses with different form lines and putting a couple together or looking good against certain opposition there's something to be said for winning form isn't there and Benedetta had done the job right throughout the summer months lobs up in I guess what you could say is her toughest test but arguably on the on the back of just purely dominant wins largely against her own sex uh, she went to a new level I reckon Maddie. That that turn of foot and the way she cleared out from a good group of horses like Paris Dior had yep. listed Group Three class form in Sydney. She smacked Paris Dior. Unbelievable. Uh, she reminds me of Asfura for some reason. So we've just got this incredible depth of the next wave of talent coming through in the uh, short course up to fourteen hundred metre sort of ranks. And who knows where Benedetta ends up? Maybe the Sangster, maybe the the Arrowfield in Sydney, but. I love the wave that's coming through at the moment, and she's certainly part of that. So, yeah. And the other interesting side note with Benedetta was that 5%, uh, actually, three 5% shares were offered in her on the February, the late February English digital sale. And one of those was bought, the other two were passed in, I believe, but 27500 for Gee, one right. of those 5% shares. So a nice buy that, now. Yeah, so that values are at what, half a million? Uh, good for Jason Warren. He needed a good one, I reckon. He did, and good for. The gentleman who bought a share, Chris Wilson, I believe, was his name. And, yeah, he's 5% owner of Benedetta going into that rich race on And what's she worth now Saturday. as a, a broodmare, if she can get a group, uh, a, you know, she looks a horse that you would think will have group. Um, oh, she'll get black tight. Next no doubt about that. 
Uh, Maddie, Jason Warren's going to join uh, you a little bit later on the Big V as uh, well. A few SMSs are coming through here. I'm with Maddie Stewart, Remarket Expectations. Don't think you can read much into it. They're just expectations. But, that, but that's the expectation of who the market thinks will win the race. Yeah, but the market, there's, there's certain the things race. the market knows and there's certain things the market can't possibly know. True. Mm. They found Benedetta pretty hard. Yeah, uh, because there wasn't anything not to know. I mean, <laughs> this is it. This sounds like a sketch. Um, <laughs> Could you imagine you and I? Who's on first? What's Do you on ever second? have those conversations where you're just talking to mates and then you realise that it was a podcast, but you never podcast? Yeah. <laughs> or do you have those times where you actually are on air and it should just be a conversation? Quite possibly. <laughs> Often. Uh, We're here a, to entertain, Michael. There's a, there's a few SMSs here. I've told you time and time again, while she's wonder Amelia's jewel would run rings around any three-year-old in the country. I don't know if anyone's arguing that. Uh, we're two for Ossipenko <laughs> now. Well, on to the George Ryder. I, I would um, think he's the three, the, the lightly weighted three-year-old for the Doncasters. If he? he can get in, he's got to win mm. a George Ryder now to get in there. Mm. What about uh, my old mate Cornflakes Kalos? That was a good win on good uh, win. back as a back as a gelding. The ultimate gear change. A few cottoned onto that early doors, didn't they, off the back of that trial? So well done to those who. Stuck with Kalos. We're going to have a chat to Graham Begg at 11 o'clock, so we'll save the, uh, the passive-aggressive uh, discussion uh, after then. But what about the performance of Giga Kick? Oh, great run. It was just enormous after Super missing the start. Super he's a, he's a bit of a get-back run on victim, though, I think, Giga Kick. He's... Yeah, I They're had extenuating to circumstances yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, I... I I think he's a he's a grouse horse, but he's he's not gonna he's gonna lose more often than he wins. And that's I think that's okay, Matty. Yep. I, I think as far as that next superstar sprinter is concerned, like Nature Strip didn't win every single race he went around in, and that was part of the joy of Nature Strip, or not was it still is that you you went to watch Nature Strip because if he did turn up at his best, you know it was going to be awesome. Oh. And I think that's going to be the same with Giga Kick when he does win. It's going to be awesome. He's going to steam home and have these ridiculous sectionals. And will he get there? Will he get there? He did. You know, that, that's going to be the, the joy of following this horse. But, but I reckon the super dominant, reliable sprinters through history are up on speed dominators. The ones who get yeah. rolled every second time. And the ones we talk about really lavishly, like Chautauqua uh, and so on, uh, and Giga Kicker, are the, are, they're, they're, very, they're much more vulnerable than the, than the bulletproof on pace ones, mm. aren't they? Uh, hello, boys. Um, I don't know if we really should take much form out of the Australian Guineas after the fall and the interference it caused. What do you think about that, Sharky? Well, that's it. Uh, it goes back to the conversation about being able to assess that interference correctly, doesn't it? I think you take that the winner is... That was a, a freaky performance on the weekend. Uh, she's a very, very good filly. Attrition's everything that Mitchell Friedman thought he might be. Japanese Emperor is probably the forgotten one. Uh, Virtuous Circle's the one... I think as you look towards race over yeah. middle distance. He's the one, isn't he? And just swallowed a fly and spat him out again. Um, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Did you apologise to the listeners or the fly? Uh, probably the listeners, <laughs> not so much the fly. <laughs> Liam Howley, uh, he has timed... He's given Virtuous Circle all the time, all the patience that he could to get a result at Group 1 level as a three-year-old. And you get the feeling he's closing in hard on that as he goes to Sydney with this horse. Well, I want to see him and his old mate from the last spring go around in the Australian Cup. They're the, they're the two three-year-olds for the Australian Pericles. Cup. Bloody hell. Hey, boys, just before I let you go, Sharky, because I know Yo. you've got business to do out here. Um, 
We might play the replay of the two two-year-old races in Sydney because there's a lot of discussion to come out of these small fields, but high in class. Maybe we can't find the two-year-old. They're knuckling down a great finish in the Todman. Cylinder the outside of Red Resistance. Cylinder with the head in front. Red Resistance trying to fight back. He can't. Cylinder too good. Good tough performance. Cylinder beat Red Resistance. Learning to fly. Lifting from Facile. Learning to fly a half head on Facile. Learning to fly. Won the Riesling in an epic battle. Learning to fly remains unbeaten. What at a half head to Facile. They gap cigar flick. Lucky, it's the favourite for the slipper. It was a gutsy win. I saw post-race, they were like, she's not a leader. She needs to be a chaser. What did you yeah, think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think she's a better chaser. Slower overall time, 109.99 versus 109.70 for the Colts. I still think learning to fly, she's one of those, she just finds a way to win. Uh, and I love how she knuckled down there when Facile loomed up and really put the asset on her. She found a way to get the job done there. Uh, and I, you've got to respect that quality in a young horse. Have you got her on top of Cylinder? Because Cylinder is now the new Golden Slipper favourite. Well, I've been nibbling away at learning to fly in these futures markets with a couple of others. And so I'm committed to her. I don't see any reason to abandon ship at this point in time. How do you see the slipper, Matty? Uh, I don't really clearly, to be honest, Michael. I don't think anything's... I think we're going to see the, 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 the absolute lead-up races the fortnight before are going to shape it. You know, I don't think there's anything that's happened so far that's really got me. So uh, I'm still yet to... yet to TBA, to be advised. If Cylinder won the slipper, it would be one of the most remarkable slipper wins you'd see after the horse broke its jaw... Um, yeah. and then came back and was able to win a slipper. Yeah, it would be absolutely incredible. The raw abilities there, he runs down Red Resistance, who many thought was the probably the most effective on-speed cult in the race. So, yeah, be something else. A little bit of tiny two-year-old news. Party for Two's changed stables. It's now with O'Day okay. and um, Hoisted. So right. that's a, going from the battle to... Change of ownership? I'm uh, not really sure about that, but um, I don't know whether whether they're going to have another little stab at the um, at the Golden Slipper or not. Speaking of battlers, the great man's here. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not he's not very well colour coded, I don't think. But anyway, no, PG Moody joins us. How are you, Pete? Morning, boys. How are you? Beautiful morning out here. Gorgeous. Another Gorgeous. day in paradise. You're yeah. all rugged up here, fellas. You've been in the shade all morning. Well, it was 16 degrees when we logged. Uh, <laughs> have you found a star? Ah, oh, we hope so. Hope so. Bought a nice colt with Rosemont yesterday, and I'm invincible colt, and bought a couple of nice fillies with Wiley Delzeal. So, uh, anyone out there interested, give Wiley a yell. Well, Jump on his website. Go. So, yeah. Hey, Moods, we were talking to Philip Campbell about the evolution of the breed through his eyes, through his experience with uh, with his farm uh, over the last, say, 30 years or so. Since you've been buying right back since the Amalfi days when you came to Melbourne and you come here every year, have you noticed? Any change in the product at all in the in the decades you've been coming here? Like everything in life, doesn't matter if it's a push bike, a motorbike, a car or whatever, everything's bred finer, lighter and faster. And horses are no different. And like most things in life, they're, they're, you know, there's not a lot of repair. I hate to say it and I hate to even think suggest it to people with horses, but they're nearly bred to throw away and go and buy another one now. 
like you, you know, I've said it time and again, even with you boys, like the days of going to the races and seeing the welter over a thousand metres and the handicap over a mile full of seven year olds that had 90 starts doesn't happen. Mm. And like it, it's surprising some of these haven't got three heads. Like they send Father's Day cards to their brothers, mm. you know, <laughs> the with, with the inbreeding, about. you know, and 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 people call it line breeding if they're good, mm. and they're inbred if they're no good. Um, so what we try and do as a collective, owners, trainers, bloodstock agents, breeders, we try and eliminate some of the risk. But the product is a lot finer and nowhere near as tough, and. Uh, we try and eliminate some of the risk and manage it best we can to get a return for the people who are putting the hand in the kick. And the great thing about racing is for the first time ever in the last two or three years and going forward, if it can sustain it, you've got a great opportunity for return on investment. Like, it's a bloody good opportunity to get into racing and uh, and get a genuine concern. The old saying of the best way to st- make a small fortune in racing, start with a big one. <laughs> But now with the money on offer, what have we got? Ninety races over a million dollars in Australia. That's so they're phenomenal. more they're more brittle. Yep. But their opportunity is greater when they are on the track because yes. of the money. Yeah. 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 And and I love two-year-old racing. I think it's very exciting. But I I think uh, you know if people are prepared to be patient and racing. I just had a chat with John Kelly from New Haven Stud, and we're talking about you know m- most of my good horses and particularly my mares, they've been at their peak at four, five, and six. Um, you know, that's when they're strong, mature, and they've stopped growing. And, and you can win a lot of races, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. But you've got to have the patience and the pockets of well, the of the supporters to do that. Well, Nelly, Nelly was probably as a six-year-old, maybe. She's a bad example, but she was at the peak of her powers five and six. Typhoon Tracy, those sort of mares, and you know what brought up the conversation is I had a lot of luck with Stuart Ramsey. Um, you know, a decade or so ago, we were buying a lot of tried two and three year old fillies that had had a sprinkling of black type form and we bought them as mature five and six year olds your your sinkway santos and those types of things and we're able to win group ones with them when they were fully mature but get people to have that patience that's a hard caper you know on the score of i guess that longevity aspect in getting horses to stand up year after year where do you sit or how much importance do you give in a say like this on x-ray scope all that reporting that's done for a product to go to sale. You're a trainer, ultimately you're buying a racehorse. Mm. Are there risk? Is that part of your risk I think, assessment? I think scope's the biggest assessment these days, yeah. wind. And once again, we're breeding these horses, and a lot of them are inbred, and I think that's where a lot of, you know, that's the scourge of a lot of trainers and owners, is the wind. Um, unless you're a dead set train wreck on x-rays, you can work around most problems, mm, yeah. and time will resolve most problems mm. as well. If x-rays force you to give them time, which is a blessing in disguise sometimes. Exactly. Mm. Gives you a discount here too. This well, it, it, it does in the sale ring at the yeah. end of the day, because you've got the heavy hitters looking for the quick return on the big, strong two-year-old cults. And if you're prepared to be a little bit more patient with some of the others and work around those x-ray issues um, and give them the time and take them along slowly, you, you can get a result. Hey, Moods, mm-hmm. where are you at with the All-Star Mile? There's been a lot said, and I heard you guys on a on a particular podcast the other day have a bit of a crack. A particular podcast? Which one? Uh, another another sort of something else. That Moody, I heard on, the Moody on the mic. Moody, Moody on, on the mic. mic. So, uh, and one, I know one of Australia's mytho- longest running mythos, racing podcasts. Mythos, mythos <laughs> a little bit of a head scratcher about it as well. Just the situation with the All Star Mall, because now we're seeing a lot of uh, we're not potting the All Star Mall, but a lot of the situation with the horses that would be now be wild cards are dropping by the wayside. So you, you wonder whether they should default back to the 
the essence of the race, really, and that is the, the popular vote. So do you understand, say a horse like Pounding, do you understand where you're at? Do you have any observations about the system with that race? Well, listen, I've got to put a case forward for Pounding. Um, I've got four in the race. At this point, Boogie Dancer, Chain of Lightning, I Wish I Win, who would I would suggest are all very doubtful. Pounding's my inform strong miler. I Wish I Win runs in the new market. Very doubtful that he'd back up on seven days. Boogie Dancer probably runs in the Coolmore on Saturday, which is run in Sydney. Very unlikely she would travel back in seven days. Chain of Lightning runs in the new market. Very unlikely she'd go to a mile in seven days. So I'm, I'm left with Pounding. Um, the, the, the vote idea, and, and I didn't look at the rules and regulations, so my ignorance there, I always thought the top first ten in were voted in. And I just always figured if three of those ten didn't get in, 11, 12 and 13 would replace them. But now I understand that's not the case, because it was always ten populous horses, mm. vote-wise, and five wild cards. But there's a chance this year you're going to end up with six popular voted-in horses and... Nine wild cards, aren't you? And, and and now who's selecting those horses and, and what criteria they're using and prize money and this and that? Well, it defaults to prize money instead of the vote, and I think that's the essence of what your query is. Yeah. Outside the top ten, the the actual conditions change. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a sh- which is a shame. So yeah. if you want ten voted in, let ten be voted in, regardless of whether they're fifteenth or sixteenth. Yeah. If seven, eight, nine, and ten don't run, yeah, that would have been my argument. I would have thought pounding probably ran eleventh or twelfth in the vote. Mm-hmm. Penny was 12th. 11th was She's a Belter. Well, they didn't put out a order of entry, so you'll get yeah. that from somewhere. No, 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 because Sean Kelly's listening to us from right, Racing right Victoria. Up. So he sent through a text saying, just to clarify, She's a Belter was 11th in All-Star yeah. Mile voting and is third on the provisional emergency list behind Fangirl and Cascadian. Pounding was 12th in voting. Wild cards will be announced by tomorrow, most likely. They'll be announced later today. Yeah, well, my argument for Pounding is he's probably the inform miler here in Melbourne. He put Gentleman Roy and Tuvalu to the sword, even in defeat on Saturday. His previous run uh, at at, um, Sandown, he was dominant. He's owned, trained and bred here in Victoria, so you can't get more Victorian for our stellar mile race. The horse is in great order. And he was 12th on the vote list. I and think I be. know at least two or three that aren't going to run yeah. out of the top 10. So I would think, you know, I would be very shocked if he doesn't get in. And and we've already seen a, a European horse that no one's heard of. It hasn't come out here as favourite for the Lightning or the bloody Newmarket or anything. I don't know. Good luck to them. They've got to run. But because they want to attract international flavour, I think that was the word. Well, who wants international flavour? If they want to come here and pay their way and earn their way in, good luck to them. But international flavour, the fact that people think we need that here in Australian racing, bullshit. If they want to come and pay their own way, This is our second S-bomber. The Sam Friedman dropped the S-bomb as well. Wash your mouth out with soap. Excuse me, I shouldn't, yeah. So I'd be disappointed if, if a horse like that found its way into the race totally unheralded and a horse in great form like Pounding didn't get that opportunity. So I hope the, the committee find fit to put him in. I, I think, think you will. I, I think you will. Uh, just quickly, I wish I win. Hmm. This could... I know you've had a lot of great training performances, but how proud a moment would it be if you could get this horse back to win a new market? Well, it's not a matter of coming back. He's a very good horse. and I, Back I think, from a golden eagle. Yeah, well, his ability to quicken on firm ground, we saw that at home, uh, and you haven't seen that at the races until these lightning runs. Mm. So we always thought he had that turn of foot and that ability to quicken. So it won't shock me. Uh, the biggest sh- probably shock for me was to make sure he handled the straight. 
hence I ran him in the Lightning, otherwise I would have run first up in the new market. He's had that exposure to the straight and it didn't phase him. But just bear in mind, before you go diving into a new market, a uh, seven-horse weight for age Lightning is yeah. going to be mm. a total different mm. uh, kettle of fish to an 18-20-horse handicapped new market. Yeah, no, as exactly well. They're, right. they're, they're chalk and cheese. Are you less confident this weekend then? Probably less confident in the new market than I was in the Lightning at the end of the day because his piece of work before the Lightning uh, was superb and I was cheeky enough to think that he could take it right up to Nature Strip at the time, who I thought was the horse to beat. Ultimately, that didn't end up being the case. He, obviously, he does a little piece of work tomorrow, won't be significant. I hope I see the same sort of work out of him because I'll go there thinking he's in great order but I just know those big handicaps a total different ball game mm. to small weight for age you see it like Doncasters and all age different races or whatever you know George Riders and Doncasters and you know they're, they're just different cats uh, those weight for age and the way they run and different mm. periods and that you won a new market a few years ago with a horse that I'm about to reference you know Shark you know how you go to these gigs and you try and replicate it the second time and you never can because it's just not the same or you go to a restaurant it's just not the same you've do you come to this sale every year since Black Caviar? <laughs> Looking for the next one? And look for the swaggery bum that you saw there and all those descriptions you gave. Are you sort of trying to visualise that template sometimes? As oh, a yearling, when a you, when you see one as big and as strong as her, yeah, you're thinking, well, um, you know, does it move as well? Mm. Is it going to be able to carry those physical faults? Uh, yeah, you know. A terrible template to try and did, did, to did work she have, I know you you wrote a special something in the in the catalogue that yeah. you can't remember what it was, but um, you know how she had those issues later on, and we're talking mm. about passing X-rays and so on. Mm. At the yearling sale, as much as she was this gorgeous big swiggly thing, were there things that you saw in her as well that you thought, oh, I'm going to have to keep an eye on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, she was offset in the knees and sat back on the knees and for a big heavy filly, but it was her ability to the way she moved to overcome those issues but she's a casing point for maybe all these uh, restrictions and things we have on horses now uh, and, and rightfully or wrongfully and I agree and sometimes I don't agree she probably has three or four runs with the current veterinary regulations yeah. in place mm. really you know but she had an unbelievable pain threshold and she used to overcome and carry her difficulties but if if she was vetted from about run four onwards, I dare say, under certainly under the current criteria, they wouldn't have let her out onto the trap. Is there anything about her story that we still... Is there one thing we still don't know about Black Caviar? I know we've got close to finding out the story of how close she went to pulling her out at Royal Ascot. Then we found out she got attacked by bees afterwards. Which no, was, no, we, you've got to buy the book, the one that's at home in the cupboard, When I Die, that's going to help pay my girls children's So you're holding education. back. There's something, isn't there, There's a, Moods? There's the one, something. The part that the lawyers took out of the, <laughs> that five <laughs> chapters that the lawyers took out of the book, there might be a There'd bit be in a there. There'd be a few people who are going to die before that book can get printed. Only there? me. Only you. Because <laughs> you me. can't get sued. <laughs> no, only me. Well, well I've, I've followed your health regime in recent years. We only have to wait till next week. So. <laughs> hey, you, you, when you walk into the sales complex here, you're met by a huge bust of black caviar, the, yeah. the head, the scone. Which a bad line. It's magnificent. They were going to do one of moods, uh, <laughs> but then they saw the statue out of Caulfield and they thought second. <laughs> you know when, how they've been bulldozing Caulfield? Have they bulldozed the statue? <laughs> well, well, when it sat in the car park there in Richmond, getting pooed on by the birds for about three years, when there was blow up over the pavement, I actually offered to buy it. We're going to put it on the roundabout at home. See, so Moods' house is so lovely, she has his own roundabout. In <laughs> hey, Moods, just before we let you go, um, something that we're going to have a little discussion about is the um, 
the opportunity that has been presented Sandown and how it has risen to the occasion. There seems to be some commentary even from the MRC about, well, the crowd was disappointing, the crowd was old and all that sort of stuff. I didn't go, but everyone I spoke to said differently. What's your appraisal of the, the role that Sandown's been playing? I thought Blue Diamond Day had a... Had a you know, a bit of sting about it. I thought there was a, you know, a bit of a vibe there. I really did. Uh, cut off that old grandstand, bulldoze half that old grandstand down and put those people in a smaller, tidier spot. Um, you know, I thought, it, I thought it had a real good vibe. And the way it raced, I dare anyone to suggest that it didn't race superb. Obviously, the Blue Diamond was a little bit different around two corners, uh, where we're used to the one corner at Caulfield or the, or the 1,000 and 1,100 metre preludes and previews out of the chute start there. I thought the Oakley Plate was phenomenal, wasn't it? You know, you yeah. see the wall of them coming up the straight. That was superb. You know, it's got a place. It, it's, you know, I'm fortunate that I train at Pakenham. Sandown's 20 minutes away. I think they're the two best racetracks in the country. Well, Felgate, really, so. just, just quote off that story. The, the, while we've got moods here, the Racing.com story that was sort of talking about um, how there was a perception that it was disappointing, mm-hmm. crowd and wagering. Wagering has been almost on par and the crowds haven't quite been... Wagering will never be as good there because the big pro punters can't narrow it. There's probably six or eight chances in every race at Sandown which adds risk to what they do. They can go to Mooney Valley or Flemington or Caulfield where there's lanes and this and that and rail movements and they can narrow a race to one or two and they'll launch and that'll create the turnover. At Sandown there's six or eight hopes in every race even on a Wednesday... That's a, that's a risky proposition from, so they won't bet. As and much. it's playing perception catch up. It's been yeah. perceived for so long as a certain secondary role or workhorse. It, mm-hmm. it takes a little bit of time for the punting public to to get its get its head around. So just yeah. on the raw numbers, and there's an analysis in an article on Racing.com. Crowd numbers in the five meetings, the Saturday feature meetings that have been run at Sandown from the 26th of December to Blue Diamond Day down 22% on the previous year at Caulfield. Extenuating circumstances, weather, uh, etc. The turnover figures on those same five meetings, uh, six meetings, sorry, down 15%, the turnover, from 12 months ago at Caulfield to those meetings being held at Sandown. So that's the raw figures. Minus 15 turnover, minus 22 crowds. Well, the, the crowd, you've got to let them get used to it. If they're walking around the corner or getting a $5 Uber from Mulvan... Yeah. to Caulfields. Once again, it's a different cat to going out to Sandown. Let them get a little bit used to it. Don't judge it on one year. The turnover, I don't know what you'll do because I've just explained why I yep. don't think there's as much betting there. But the racing was absolutely superb. It, it was great. Just cut, cut the old joint in half. Drag the horse stalls down near the people. You've got all that space there. It still leaves you a couple hundred acres to build townhouses. What about a lovely international hotel with big restaurants down the straight? introduced new people to mm. Springvale, Meet Peter 800 Moody metres Meet away Peter with a massive Asian hotel. population. Yep. Only thing, and I'm not looking at being, uh, I don't know, racist or whatever, but Asian people, they're probably more so or secondary only to Aussies as punters. There's a heap of them over at Springvale. They wouldn't know the races were on at Sandown. Has anyone ever gone over there and told them there's a racetrack, there's a dog track? And a racetrack 400 metres away, no one's probably ever told them, and they love a punt. And the, Get Greyhound, them. the Greyhound Club's done a, a focused on that community, yeah. and they've had great success in attracting yeah. uh, that Asian community in the Springvale area, well, the southeastern they, suburbs. They love their gambling, the and when they get to, they love their horses. So. All I'm saying is, when the workhorse takes over from the glamorous track, hmm. and the and the and the various data is close enough. Hmm. 
I can't see how that's perceived as it not working. No, I no. can't see how that's I'm, I'm with you, and, and let people get used to it. It's, it's, a, it's a great track, and the racing was tremendous. So I congratulate on the MRC on doing it and taking it there, but please don't just shut it off after one crack. Yeah, and there was a bit of conversation. Josh Blanksby, um, our MRC, tweeted out the metrics, yeah. you know, wagering down, crowds down. And Pat Carey had a pretty strong reply back and, and said, would have expected... Oh, I think he said, wouldn't have expected that the CEO would have... Oh, sorry, would have expected the CEO would have come out and said an outstanding day of racing. We were blessed to have such a race course like Sandown, hold a meeting of such quality and not sound like a prophet of doom who is hanging on to another agenda. Is that a feeling amongst trainers? So many trainers say Sandown's the best track. You know, we love it. We love going there. The frustration that Pat Kerr has expressed on social media, is that felt when this conversation always seems to hang on Crowd attendance and wagering. The participants feel very much like there's an untold agenda Mm. with the people have put this proposal forward. They they really do. And I think they're to a man. Mm -hmm. I've never heard a trainer, an owner or a jockey say, get rid of Sandown. I I, I really haven't. So so I know they've got to look at revenue streams away from racing to support our great industry. But why do we want to keep closing down these great facilities Mm. it's a facility that's owned by the industry and tipping hundreds of millions into a facility that they don't own yeah doesn't make sense does it you're going to sell your house and and invest in your girlfriend's flat that she rents you're not, are you? No. Don't rub it in. I don't have a house and I don't have a girlfriend. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, you're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> uh, Birds, you've, got, you've got work to do. Appreciate your time. Good luck in the build-up to Saturday. Have a great one and uh, hope the All-Star Mile Committee uh, give pounding I'm, a little I'm sure there'll be a letter today. coming your way today. <laughs> you've been pounding down the door. Have a great one, team. Good on you, Good Pete. on you, uh, Sharky, we need to say goodbye to you. Uh, you've got work to do as well. Do. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Matty, you can have a breather for the last 15 and you'll Beautiful. be back with uh, Matty Nevitt uh, from 11. 11- 11 o'clock on the other side of this, we'll have Gators post-mortem.